Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Got a great show lined up for you all today. Uh, we're going to be talking about finances, going to be talking about banking, some alternatives to banking, um, interesting stuff. Have a returning guest coming back on the show. I'll introduce him in just a moment. Um, hopefully, this uh, will give you all a break from election talk that we've all been inundated with the past couple of days, local elections. I know I went through that here um, in Pennsylvania in my local um, uh, township and at the county level, all of that nonsense. So nice to get a break and talk about some real life, tangible stuff um, in today's show. So let's bring on today's guest. He is Luke Tatum. Luke is the founder of Perfect Spiral Capital. Um, That's an exclusively IBC-focused financial firm. Now, IBC, that stands for Infinite Banking Concept. Uh, He is also the author of a new book. It's called Between the Lines, How to Reclaim Your Future from the Banks and Wall Street. Luke, welcome back to Finding Freedom. John, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you back on the show. And uh, we were talking uh, pre-show about your previous previous appearance. And, you know, it got a really good response from uh, the Finding Freedom audience here on Lines of Liberty. You know, I think... Uh, you know, as you talk about in the book, um, you know, as libertarians, we question a lot of different things, and you know, we we question the the media misleading us. We we, we question the different systems that are set up at academia and public schools that are indoctrinating us. But uh, there's not a we do question the banking system, right? Fractional Reserve Bank and the Federal Reserve. But most people just kind of go along with, uh, you know, the status quo of how we are taught to bank. And I want to dig more into that down the road, why you think that is and what the alternatives are. Um, but before we get to that, you know, let's kind of do a, a rehash of what we talked about last uh, last time you were on the show. Um Infinite banking concept. Uh, let's just start off with that at a high level. Um, what is infinite banking? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, you know, we've kicked off our YouTube stuff here recently. I've got some more YouTube content out there now. And, and this is a thing that I'm finding as I'm trying to see where we fit in the YouTube space. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of confusion about this. And so all infinite banking is or the infinite banking concept All that means is that you're recapturing interest that you're paying to other people. Okay, so 
you get a car loan, you pay interest to Chevy Auto Finance Corporation or whoever, your local credit union, whoever it is, you're paying interest all the time. There's always an interest rate when you make a purchase because we're all, you know, like like good citizens, we're all financing everything, we're all paying money to to other people to live, right? And get what we want now and pay for it over time, right? So the the first insight would be, hey, what if you were to pay yourself that interest? It's removing that third party from the equation and and, and you're, you're establishing an entity. In this case, it's going to be a dividend-paying, mutually-owned, whole-life insurance contract, mm-hmm. which, you know, immediately gets knee-jerk responses. Oh, my gosh, whole life is terrible. This guy is a sleazebag. Okay, fine. You know, if you're still here, <laughs> then I'll explain, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's – that's the idea. This happens to be the best way, the most favorable for you, the user, way – to recapture that interest. And, you know, we can get into all the nitty gritty and all that, but even paying cash, I would argue you're still paying interest for things. And that's a little bit of a, maybe esoteric kind of a train of thought, but you can't get away from the fact that there's interest, right? There's a, there's an opportunity cost associated with everything. And so mm-hmm. who gets the interest, who stands to benefit from that, that, uh, what Nelson Nash would say, banking is, he would say that sentence, just banking is like the, the function of banking interest and, and lending money and, you know, who controls money at any given point in time. That's, that's an immutable thing. You don't get to change that. You just get to change who you're working with mm-hmm. to make those payments. Right. And so IBC in a very, very small nutshell, right. Is just okay, maybe I should reconsider who plays what part in this this play of money. Um, so there's, there you go. First pass answer. No, that's that's good. And, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're going to talk about your book. And if people want to do a deep dive on this, I, I'd encourage them to pick up the book Between the Lines, How to Reclaim Your Future from the Banks and Wall Street. And, you know, I think a, an interesting concept that you touch on in the book is that it's it's really, um, it's not entirely about just money or about, you know, interest rates. It's about thinking about how you interact with the world around you. So if you could expand on what you mean by that and uh, how people can apply it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of a, I don't want to say bait and switch. It makes it sound like it's bad, but there is a little bit of a, a a thing at the beginning of the book. The very, very beginning of the book has nothing to do with money. Mm -hmm. And that's on purpose. It's the very, very beginning is about how we think and how our brains operate. And so, you know, there's a good article on our website about this and everything. Perfectspiralcapital.com if anyone's a reader, but uh, it's it's this part of your brain. It's a cluster of nerves. It's called your reticular activating system, RAS. I'll just say RAS, okay? The RAS is what tells your brain kind of what to focus on more or less. So, And you have control over this. You can say, I would like to see a lot of uh, Chevy vehicles on the road today, and then your brain will be paying attention to Chevy vehicles, right? And so you'll notice a whole lot of Chevys mm-hmm. as you're driving around. 
And, you know, sometimes people call this the secret. Sometimes people call this all sorts of things, you know, uh, being just in tune with your intuition or whatever. But what it is, I mean, it's it's really, it, biologically, it's just your brain. And your, your RAS is not positive or negative. It's not necessarily working for your benefit or against you. If you don't tell it what to do, probably someone else is telling it what to do. Right. And that's how politics mm -hmm. works. <laughs> it's, hey, we need to fight about whether this interest rate, I mean, uh, this this taxation rate, this tax level or this tax level is the appropriate tax level for rich people to pay, you know, just to make up an example. Right. And but the 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 actual issue is, OK, should we pay, be taxing these people at all? Right. Or should we be taxing anybody at all? And so it's like. The narrative is being controlled. We're all using the term the narrative these days, right? That's what it is. That's what it is. They're telling you what to think about. They're giving you the terms of engagement. And if you accept them, then in a real sense, you've already lost, right? And so banks do this. Finance companies do this. Retail stores do this. You mm -hmm. know, oh, are you going to put that on your store card today? Oh, what do you mean? What's your store card, right? I mean, they, they, this is the script that they teach you in the store when you work there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, this is how you get people to only think about this option, right? And so, you know, this is, this is why I started kind of square one. It's not like it's a big section of the book or anything, but it's thinking about how, as you alluded to at the very beginning, you know, we're, we're all skeptics of the government. We all know they mismanage everything. We all know that all these horrible things are done all the time. And then in finance, we just go, oh, okay, cool, sure. I'll use a tax-qualified retirement plan for, for my savings. And I'll take advantage of the employer match and take the free money. And you, like, you just kind of do exactly what they tell you to do. And so in a very real sense, I would say, you know, my book, uh, which I can hold up here, Between the Lies, um, it's... It's just pulling the curtain back. That's what it is. It's just saying, hey, you know, have you really thought about this in detail? Now, a lot of the audience here already has done that. Okay, and I know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you already know what fractional reserve banking is. I, I get it. Yeah. But there's a lot more to it. And I've had people that have been, you know, reading Austrian books for years and years contact me and say, hey, you know, I had no idea some of the stuff that you wrote. And so it's been very, um, it's been a, an ego boost for me, certainly, to, to hear that kind of feedback from people that I would consider to know more than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, but that's that's kind of why it's there. And I have a, a metaphor about a magician, a street magician, and how a street magician teaches you what to look for. And if you do what they say, you'll miss the trick every single time, right? That, mm -hmm. that's, it's by design. That's how it works. They know how your brain works. So if you l learn that and you take that power away, then okay, now the ball's in your court, right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, and uh, I have to apologize. I, I I think at the top of the show, I was saying between the lines. I had a typo in my notes here. Okay. Between it's the okay. lies. So my, nah, it's all good. Yeah, between the lies. You held that up, but yeah, yeah, it's a nice uh, nice cover too. Nice artwork on there. Thank I you. like it. Thank you. Um, you know, I I think it's it's interesting because you know as libertarians or freedom, you know, I don't want to put people in buckets. People who are libertarian leaning, freedom oriented however you want to say it, um, anarchist, volunteerist, whatever. Right. Um, you know, I think we're really good at the, the theory and, and those, you know, those different aspects. But I think, you know, when, when COVID happened, that really did change the way a lot of people are look, we're looking at things. I know myself personally, it changed a lot. Like, you know, we got to stop talking about theory and start changing some things uh, to protect ourselves from this regime that has now made it very apparent that they will shut businesses down, that they will force things upon you, et cetera. Um, but I, I don't know if a lot of people really changed their, uh, you know, spending habits or not, not spending habits, their investing habits right. um, because of that. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's difficult because it's one of those things with money, with banking, with investing. And, you know, I'm guilty of this too. I do have a whole life policy. Um, so I am diversified in the space. I, I should get more so, but <laughs> I, I still have a 401k. I still have an IRA. Um, I, I still have these different vehicles and it is very hard to break from it. Honestly, to do like a hundred percent break. I know there's, there was one story where you talk about, I think it was pretty early in your book, where uh, you were meeting with meeting with a gentleman came in your office and I think he was involved in real estate or something doesn't really matter an, an entrepreneur in, in some space and uh, it was saying that after you laid it out you know immediately you know he was ready to make a very significant um, investment and uh, a really a big change in the way that he uh, manages his business and his his money is that rare to see on your end to be somebody that gets it. And then they they jump right in, you know, with both feet. Is it more so people kind of just easing their way into it, or what, what, what's your experience? Yeah, sure. I, you know, it depends on how much of an entrepreneur they are. Generally, is what I find. That's the biggest mm -hmm. indicator. You know, entrepreneurs are rare. You just if you're just surveying the general population, most people have a regular employee job, right? So. If I were to just grab a hundred people and say, you're having a financial meeting with me right now, too bad, <laughs> then 99 of them would probably be W2 employees or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just, just on that basis, yeah, it's rare, but I do tend to work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, I've got a, a guy who runs his own piano tuning business in Arizona. Like there's all these really mm -hmm. interesting, cool things and and that, that's part of the fun of this for me, right? Is I get to work with a lot of people who have interesting stories, but but even the people who are just employees, you know, it, it's just a question of how much, like how big is the gap between how they're doing things now and, and kind of what I'm recommending. And so if that gap is pretty small, it's like, oh, well, cool. I'm already sort of cash flowing things. I already kind of understand that it's more about cash flow and less about what's my paycheck. You know what I'm saying? And so- if, if there's fewer dots to connect, they're already there. Entrepreneurs, fewer dots to connect. Because, I mean, an entrepreneur is thinking about, okay, what are my big cash flow crunches throughout the year, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, my taxes are due. 
in, you know, whatever, however their business is structured. So they've got a huge deadline for taxes and maybe they're a lot <laughs> of taxes. So yeah. it's like, okay, if you could have a way where we can use what's called a policy loan against your whole life policy, you could use a policy loan. You already know the money's there. It's guaranteed to be there. No questions asked. They don't care what you're using the money for. You can just take this loan, pay your taxes, and that's not coming out of your like operating cash flow. It's not affecting your day-to-day business. You say, okay, I owe $50,000, boom, paid, and you just keep doing your regular business. And then you can just repay that over mm-hmm. time throughout the rest of the year as you earn revenue, make payments on this policy loan, clear that, get ready for next year. But that that prevents you from having this, oh my gosh, I have no money. I have no operating capital we're in this horrible, you know, situation every whatever, April or October, whenever your filing deadlines are. And so, you know, if I have like one thing that I have to isolate to talk about with an entrepreneur, it's like, great, do this. Your life is going to be so much easier <laughs> and you're going to mm-hmm. make more money doing it. You know, that's that's the whole other thing. It's It's better for you. It's not just like libertarian theory and, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we were pulling our money out of the fractional reserve system and all this stuff. Oh, but if you do that, it's going to be like, you're just taking a hit for the team. No, like this is good for you from a financial standpoint and it's good in like libertarian theory, you know? So Mm -hmm. it, to me, it checks all the boxes. It's just a question of how quickly do you get there? And so for me, and I know this is a short question, but, (laughs) uh, for me, it took a long time for me to put yeah. all this together and to get it. And I started really, really small. I still have my little teeny tiny policy. And, you know, it's the oldest policy I have. So it's kind of efficient at this point. But I wish I had started bigger. You know, I think about that a lot. It's like if I had only started larger then, I'd have more accumulated now. But, you know, we're thankfully in a position that we can cash flow all kinds of stuff at this point. And mm-hmm. it's nice. It opens up a lot of doors, more than you can even predict. I, anyway, I, like I say, it's a short question. <laughs> I'm just reading. Yeah, that's a good answer. It makes me think of a follow-up here. So somebody might ask, um, you know, you talked about a policy loan, either to pay taxes or let's say for an example, say it's an entrepreneur um, or maybe an aspiring entrepreneur who wants to start a business and needs that upfront investment. So w- what would be the... Uh, the differences, the the pros and cons between, say, a policy loan and somebody that was going to use a a four hundred one k to invest. I forget the the terminology for it, but there is a way to. Um, it's not even it's not even taking a loan against your four hundred one k. It's using your four hundred one k as like a. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on what it's called as an investment tool. So you would take it like. It, and a lot of you know providers won't do this. I don't, probably the major right. ones won't. But I know a lot of people do it for like real estate. They'll buy like rental properties with their four hundred one k. But anyway, policy loan using a four hundred one k. What what are the uh, the pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, in general, like if we're talking about a loan, what's happening with the traditional investment space is okay. You're mm-hmm. taking money out of something else to use it, mm-hmm. right? And so, oh, okay, I've got a hundred k and in this asset, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what kind of IRA or whatever, but you take it out of that, you put it into something else. Okay. So it's either, or 
the uh, whole life policies are sometimes uh, called the and asset because you get to do both things at the same time. You pay premiums into a whole life policy and, you know, I don't want to get too technical, <laughs> but y- you you have put money into a whole life policy. You mm-hmm. have a cash value, which is just the present value of the death benefit that they owe you someday in the future or owe your beneficiaries. So you've got a cash value. You can access that via a policy loan. What's actually mechanically behind that is you're not taking anything out of the insurance policy. All of the money is there. You just have a loan against the Mm -hmm. insurance policy, right? So you take out whatever it is, $100,000, and that's going to accumulate interest. But at the same time, particularly if you're working with a what's called a non-direct recognition insurance company, then you're going to have dividends paid by the insurance company when they're profitable. And I don't know, people probably won't be surprised by this, but insurance companies are pretty good at making money. There's a lot of these, you know, these uh, insurers that have paid a dividend every single consecutive year for over 115, 130, 150 years, you know, and so through every disaster that's occurred, Mm -hmm. they're just cranking out premiums. I mean, uh, taking in premiums, cranking out dividends, et cetera. Right. So you get to earn the dividend. You get to kind of get this compounding effect on your money, even while you're doing something else. And so if it, if there's ever a conversation like, what is the magic of IBC? Well, it's just that mm-hmm. you, you get to use your money and have your money somewhere else at the same time. <laughs> Technically speaking, you're not doing that. Yeah. It's just a collateralization, but you know, you can, you can put your 401k as collateral on something. If you can find an institution that'll agree to it, right? You can say, okay, I've got all these stock market holdings, right? So will you give me $100,000 to go do this other thing? And the collateral on that would be my stock market investments, my portfolio. Well, like you say, difficulty with finding someone who will agree to that. Mm-hmm. That's a factor. Uh, number two, okay, how much of your stock market investments have to be collateralized, right? Like how much of this is tied up and therefore you can't do anything with it? You're missing out on other opportunities because it's it's earmarked, like it's it's already spoken for. You don't get to play with it if it's if it's tied up in this stuff. And then, okay, what if you're in a recession? You know, what if all these other situations have an impact on what that value is? Well, okay, what if the bank calls your note? What if you don't have 100000 in cash to repay them all of a sudden, right? If mm-hmm. a 2008 style scenario happens, you think they're just going to let that loan ride? No, they're going to need money because they're, they're going to have to like shore up their balance sheets. They're going to have to show that they've got the capital to handle what's going on and they don't. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the big, you know, the big thing with banks. They don't really have much money. And so... That's, I mean, you get into, I think people get into a a, a mental space where they say, oh, well, you know, it's fine. I've got all this. I'm cash flowing this. I'm doing this. I'm making all this money. Everything's great. And you don't realize like how many of those dominoes are just lined up ready to fall if things start to go differently. Right. So, you know, hear all these stories all the time. If you Mm -hmm. read financial news of real estate moguls and stuff getting wiped out 
It's like, you don't want to be in that position, (laughs) right? You need to actually have money somewhere. You need to, you need to maintain access to capital and it, it needs to not affect you personally. You know, and this, this doesn't even require an LLC or any of that fancy stuff. It's just, it, I mean, again, it's just the question of who plays what part, where is the money? And you own your life insurance contract. You're the first owner. So, you know, if the life insurance company's in trouble, too bad. They cannot make you repay that policy loan early. Uh, and by the way, there's no schedule on the loan. So you mm-hmm. pay it on any schedule you want over any number of years you want. And and they can't tell you no. You're the first owner, right? If you have stock in a company and the company goes out of business, well, okay, you've got an order of liquidation, right? You've got, oh, okay, well, then the then these guys get paid, then these guys get paid, then this, then this. Right. And then the common stockholders are way down the list down here. If they still have any money, maybe you might get some of your money back, right? I mean, it, it, so it's just, it's just about contracts and, you know, the mm-hmm. nature of all of these relationships. Um, I'm totally fine having a lot of our assets, I mean, basically all of them in life insurance, right? It's land, buildings, vehicle, you know, precious metals, that kind of thing, and life insurance. That's what we have. We have yeah. one share of one mutual fund, I guess, full disclosure, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> um, that's just really so we could access it again if we wanted to. If there's a crazy market dip, I can move money into that mutual fund, right? Yeah. I can make some money. I can pull it back out. That's the position you want to be in is you've got uh, dry powder, so to speak, so that you can do what you need to do. Opportunities come to you when you have assets. If you are always leveraged up trying to do all these things that you really can't afford to do, so you don't really have the money, it's all this just web of, of oops, sorry, now I'm out of business. Um, it's just not a good place to be, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I'm also risk averse. <laughs> but... But it feels good, you know, to, to know that the money is taken care of. So I'll, I'll stop rambling on that point. But, yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine to be risk averse or to, uh, you know, be a, a risky person and still, you know, have those mitigating factors to, uh, to help you out in a pinch. But so I think it's important to talk about interest rates, right? I mean, these yeah, times we live true. in, you know, you want to buy a house today, you're going to be paying 7% on a mortgage. Um, I, have, I don't even know where car loans are. Thankfully, I haven't had to look at a, a car loan anytime recently, so I'm, I assume they're higher. I, I don't even know. But yeah, I haven't looked recently either. But yeah. yeah, but when it comes down like like a policy loan, you're taking a loan against your you know the, your policy, what you have uh, for the cash value. Um, what are those interest rates in comparison to like a a bank loan? Sure. Yeah. So. I should say that there's two types of loans. Okay. There's policy mm-hmm. loans, again, from a non-direct company. That's my strong preference for non-direct recognition, meaning that you will earn exactly the same dividend no matter how many policy loans you're taking. Okay. There's also direct recognition, which means that they're going to reduce your dividend somewhat based on how much of your value is being used in in other places, okay? So if you have a policy loan out, you don't earn as much. It's like a give and take kind of thing. I mm-hmm. like both. I'll take both. And so I do the non-direct recognition. We recommend that. Uh, we've got an insurance carrier we work with that offers both, which is kind of a cool thing. You can choose. But 
the direct recognition, so in other words, the, the loan type where they are reducing your dividend earnings, that is going to have a lower interest rate a little bit. So imagine like 4% right now. Mm -hmm. And then a non-direct where you get all the dividends, that's going to have a somewhat higher interest rate. It's been 5% for basically all of the last 15 years. Okay, so it's been nice and steady. You know, somebody who has a 3% mortgage, they might laugh at that. Oh, man, five. Wow, so high. But not today, right? Right. Now, 30-year mortgages are 8%, over 8%. And so 5% looks pretty good. But, you know, interest rates on these loans are based on the Moody's Corporate Bond Index. If anybody, you know, is a wonk that likes to get into that stuff, you can look that up. Triple A rated corporate bond index from Moody's. And so as that trends up, because interest rates are rising, interest rates on the policy loans are going to go up too. They're not going to go up as fast. They kind of lag behind. Everything in the insurance world is very slow. Okay. <laughs> but but it's like five and a half percent right now for a policy loan. Again, it's a lot better than eight. Okay. But it will cap out at 8%. A life insurance company cannot, under any circumstance ever, charge you more than 8% on a policy loan. And so if you think interest rates are going to keep going up and keep going up, well, okay. You know, in the 1970s, you have the Volcker era, like inflation uh, mitigation that the Fed chair was trying to do, you know, mm -hmm. raising rates and raising rates. If you have 15% general interest rate in the economy, and you can loan money or you can access money at 8%, you can make a lot of money, right? It's just arbitrage. Go and buy yeah. a lot of investments. It's, I mean, there's, it's just an open door waiting for you to use it. And the insurance company cannot tell you no, right? As it, to whatever extent you have cash value. And of course, if you're you know working with an infinite banking practitioner, then it, that's the kind of idea we're working with, right? You're going to have a policy designed to accumulate cash value quickly. And so if you've got access to it, take it. And then as your investment makes money, repay your loan. As your loan is repaid, the cash value is available again. Loan it out again, make more money, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can do that as fast as they'll clear the checks, you know? And so that's, I don't know if that's going to happen, Right. I hear people say you can't raise interest rates very much or the federal government's going to implode. I mean, couldn't happen to a better group of people. Right. But that's that's just something to kind of know. It's 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 got a cap on it. It's a legal cap. And it's in the contract. Right. So they can't change it later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got a policy is there. And so that's I mean, I don't know if this is really getting where you wanted to go, but. But, you know, I have to build up the value in a policy first. Okay. If you say, okay, I need an access to a, a lot of money right now that you don't have, this is not right. how you do that. You've got to establish the policy. You've got to pay premiums into it. You will have on net less cash value in the beginning of a policy than you've paid in. And I don't care who you're working with. Right. These, you know, it, it's not possible because what the nature of it is, again, it's like you got to properly understand the tool. We're dealing with a discount rate on a future payout. 
it, it can't be more than you started with at the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on structure, all those things, you know, it'll get very attractive very quickly. But uh, you just, you know, you got to pay the price now to get the benefit later. It's it's one of those things. There's no get rich quick here to be seen. So, yeah. um, but that's that's uh, my my basic spiel on <laughs> on interest rates. So but, that helped. Did I answer it? No, yeah, that that definitely helps. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a good alternative, especially in uh, in this market where. Almost everything is uh, is north of a uh, of five percent. <laughs> it's going to be crazy, man. It's and mm-hmm. I don't see it slowing down, at least not right now. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've heard the Fed, you know, might bring them down towards the end of the year, but I I really doubt it. I mean, you look at the inflation is still very strong throughout the economy. You look at gas prices are. I mean, it seems like they just went up again recently, at least uh, around me here in Pennsylvania. And demand for uh, for gasoline is like at a you know ten year or fifteen year low or something crazy. So, um, you know that some, you know, it's uh, it's definitely still a very inflationary environment. Um, so, I'm curious from a tax strategy, from uh, saving money on taxes, how can people use um, infinite banking? Or can they use? Maybe it's a better way to phrase it. Can inf- infinite banking be used as a way to you know pr- protect yourself? Obviously, within the law and everything, um, right. is, is that something that people can do? Well, so of course, my my required disclaimer here, right? I'm not a tax professional. I'm not a mm-hmm. CPA. I can't give you tax advice. You can't give tax advice on a podcast anyway because I don't know anything about the situation, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm not eligible to do that. Definitely consult with your appropriate people, you know, for right. your state stuff. But the, 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 the basic lay of the land, I guess, is how we'll, we'll call this. This is a tax-deferred vehicle. It's considered to be a tax-deferred vehicle. However, if you properly understand what's going on and you know the rules, you know how to handle this asset once you've established it, you don't, I mean, it's not that you're going to pay taxes later. Tax deferred is a very misleading thing, right? Any gains that you have inside of this, if it's properly designed and and utilized, are going to be uh, non-existent. There are no taxes later on it. You are buying this asset with after-tax dollars, Unless you have some kind of weird thing set up where you're using, you know, municipal bonds or something to get tax-free income to funnel in there. That's a whole conversation. But you're going to have regular income, you know, money that's just in your bank. And that's what you're using to buy this asset. So you've paid Mm -hmm. taxes on that. The gains would be tax-free as long as you don't, you know, break the rules, so to speak. And so... Understanding those rules are very important, <laughs> right? But uh, that's nice, right? I mean, we're not talking about, it, it's important for me to say, it's not an investment, okay? It's it's actually not legal for people to walk around calling tax, uh, for to call uh, life insurance an investment, okay? okay. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a thing I can't say. There are life insurance policies that have an investment like component to them. There's some that are tied into the stock market. I've heard of things like variable universal life, indexed universal life. If you uh, 
have variable or indexed attached to something, it's an investment, right? But this is not that. This is whole life insurance. It's it's nothing stock market about it. It's a mm -hmm. non-market correlated asset. And so this is just a superior place to put your money. Your money has to live somewhere. It should live here. That would be my argument. Um, now, if you're a business owner, okay, can you have policies where you can deduct your premiums off of your business's taxes? Yes. Usually that's going to be offset in some way by some taxes somewhere else. If your business is getting a deduction on the uh, premiums, you're, you're paying premiums on a policy for an employee, for example, well, then the employee must be the one that can use that policy. They're the one that can take policy loans. They're mm -hmm. the one that gets to use it, okay? Or vice versa. You don't get to deduct it, <laughs> but you get to access it. So, you know, which, which one's more important? To me, I would say it's best to start with the individual person, even if you're a business owner. You know, you've got, okay, primary income earner, spouse, maybe children, you know, those kinds of people get insured first. Then you have a nice big pool of assets. But okay, so here's one more one more little nugget, right? If you're if you own a business, S corporation, let's say, and you have a policy that you own personally, mm -hmm. you take a policy loan, 5% interest rate. You loan it to your business, you reloan the money to your business. Your business is uh, under contract to pay 8%, okay? Your business can write off the interest payments because it's a loan. Hmm. And then they pay you personally the payments and then you repay the loan, right? So it's just, you just right. kind of introduce this extra step. Is that worth it? I don't know. It depends on your business. Right. But there, you know, so there are some things, but I, I'm always very leery when I see people claiming like, you know, running victory laps with some crazy elaborate strategy for, for this. Cause you know, do you really want the IRS to audit you? I mean, is yeah. that what you're trying to do? And I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, <laughs> so no. I'll keep it nice and manageable. Um, I like to simplify things. You know, I don't yeah. like to make them more complicated. I don't like paying taxes, but I, I do pay my taxes because I don't want right. the IRS coming after me, but yeah, I'm not that hardcore either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, we've talked about how, how to use um, infinite banking as a tool, entrepreneurship, um, you know, taking that money and buying real estate, becoming your own, uh, your own banker. Um, what about towards like retirement and being able to, to use that money and access, access that money that you've built up over your life um, during your retirement? Because, you know, if people aren't paying into a 401k or, or, or whatever else, um, this is where their, their money is, right? So wh what are the benefits of um, inf infinite banking from that perspective? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, one case to make is, okay, you control your money, right? You put money into a 401k or, or whatever equivalent, 403b, you know, it doesn't matter which, mm -hmm. which flavor of IRA you have. But you put money into that and it's not really yours. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't, you don't get to use that. It's invested in, in the stock market. It's for mm -hmm. your retirement. You know, there's all these penalties 
and, yeah. and extra regulations you have to contend with and probably fees and all these other things that prevent you from utilizing that on a day-to-day basis or month-to-month basis. And so, you know, you you make whatever amount of money, you contribute a portion into this vehicle, and it's kind of like gone, right? It's it's doing its thing. It's accumulating with the promise that you're going to be able to deploy that later, right, to live on. Well, every time you start to take money out of that system, you're compromising the system, right? It's not It's not compounding because you are going to start taking money out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a whole conversation. You know, we don't have to go there if you don't want to, but the, uh, it's not really compounding anyway, cause there's losses all the time in the stock market, right? <laughs> right? It doesn't just go up. Yeah. The past uh, two years, so, it's been, it's been pretty, uh, you know, pretty steady, uh, yeah. in a plateau. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked, I talked to a lot of people about this stuff, man. And, and I can't tell you how many people with 401ks, like substantial amounts of money in these, these, you know, wonderful investment tools are just like, man, it's not really doing anything. It's been like years mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not just two years, you know, it depends on what you're in. Right. But particularly people close to retirement, it's like, well, what does a target date fund do as you get close to the target date? Well, it moves all your assets yeah. into bonds. Right. Okay. You know what life insurance companies invest in bonds, you know, who's better at investing in bonds the life insurance company, uh, 10 times out of 10, I guarantee you they're better mm-hmm. at managing bonds. Anyway, so this is something that enables you now, whatever now is, whatever stage of life you're in, to start to acquire other cash flow producing things. I know you're into, you know, cash flow assets and that kind of stuff, di- diversification, all those things. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, I mean, like, my system that I lay out in the book, I've got a five-step system to kind of live your financial life. And one of the steps is to focus on what I call a wealth ratio. In other words, how much of your your expenses, your required living expenses are paid for by passive income. You know, So when that's all of it, when that's one, if you set it up as a ratio, one or greater – then you're financially free. You don't have to work unless you want to. I think you should. I think you should work. You know, if you're able to do that, I think it's a moral imperative, right? You should contribute some stuff to the world around you. But, you know, you don't technically speaking have to because you've, you've kind of made it, right? And so this enables you to utilize the money you're setting aside anyway into a 401k or whatever. And it, it allows you to buy some cash flow producing assets. There's a lot of different options. I don't know which one is right for you. And I'm not going to tell you what to buy. But you can get some, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so your, your, your passive income is going to increase. As that's happening, you're now able to manage a lot more from a cash flow standpoint. It's like, oh, cool, I have money coming in. No big deal, right? So how does this work in the retirement? Well, if you have a 401k, if that's your only retirement strategy, I'm not saying this is you, but if it is, mm-hmm. then as you sell out from that, and especially as you're required to sell out from that with required minimum distributions, right, which are going to kick in at some point, depending on your age, then you're reducing the asset. 
Okay. If you need a certain amount to live, okay, you take it out. Okay. Well, the market's down. Well, I don't have anywhere else to get money. Okay. You take it out. You're, you're cannibalizing that asset. And paying maybe very high taxes on it, depending on if you're still working when you're having to take it out, it might be extremely high. Right. Right. And yeah, who knows what tax rates are going to be? Yeah. That's another point that I love to make. It's like, how many variables that are a question mark do you have to multiply this by before you actually have the money? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, okay. How much is they, uh, how much are their fees? How much, wh- what are taxes? You know, how much do you have to sell out? What's the market performance that year? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay. Well, it's not really going to be as much money as I thought. What do you do? Go back to work. Right. That's, that's what mm-hmm. you can do at that point. And so if you don't want to be in that position, you need to develop, you know, other cash flow sources. And so, okay, infinite banking, whole life policy. You can surrender, as soon as a partial surrender, you can you can take part of the death benefit and get the surrender value for it up to your cost basis whenever you want. You could do this at stages throughout the life of the policy. You could do it only in retirement. Let's say you turn 67 and you want to start doing this. Fine, great. So you can get every dollar that you paid into this over the entire duration back on a tax-free basis. It's just called a return of premium. And just here's your money back, okay? Your death benefit is going to get smaller, but they're giving you the cash value. The cash value is not getting smaller. They're giving it to you. You know, you're not right, really explain, explain that again. The cash value is not okay. getting smaller, but they're giving it to you. Can you just Well, I'm I'm just saying, I'm just saying like you're not you're not um <laughs> it, it's just changing columns, right? It's it's okay. in, not in the policy, it's in your bank account. They're just giving you the money. Gotcha. Right? There's no extra fees or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's it's just here you go. You want this much? Great. It reduces the death benefit somewhat, because that's what you're doing. You're partially surrendering the policy. Right. But you're not surrendering the whole thing. Okay, cool. Once you've done that, let's say you've paid in $150,000 over all this time or $400,000, whatever the number is, you can have all that back. Great. Then you can still, you still have a lot of cash value beyond what you have paid in if this is something you've been doing over a long period, right? Then you can take policy loans. Policy loans have an interest rate. We talked about interest rates. How do you manage the interest on those? Well, that's what your passive income is for, right? You can take large chunks of money every year, every month, whatever whatever schedule you want mm-hmm. over whatever period of time. Just make sure you manage the interest so it doesn't balloon. The only thing you have to look out for in this scenario is you don't want the loan balance to exceed your death benefit. So that's like mechanically not possible, within the policy. Mm-hmm. If you do that, that's an overloan and that will cancel the policy. The policy cancels, you'll have a taxable gain for all of your your gains mm-hmm. in the policy. You don't want that. So don't right. do that. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's why having some other investments, some other things that can produce cash flow for you are important. Maybe that's a 401k. I don't tell people to get rid of their 401ks. I, I, a lot of people do. A lot of people mm-hmm. stop contributing once they start doing this. But if you've got that asset, use it, right? But this mm-hmm. at least would give you an option. Even if you're still all in on IRAs, 
then you don't have to sell when the market is down, right? Oh, okay. The stock market's tanking. I've got to, I've got to get some money. Well, if you've got to pay uh, RMDs, if you've got to take RMDs out of the policy, then okay, you have to. But beyond that, don't take any more. Don't sell when the market is down. Don't do it. And so where do you get the money? Well, you've built up this other asset, which has nothing to do with the stock market. The, you know, it's a, it's a guaranteed amount of money. It can't decrease. And so, you know, let the stock market do its thing. Don't look at it. Don't freak out. Don't sell when it's down. Just tap into your other source of available capital, which is going to be your, your policy. Um, so, I mean, at the very minimum, right? Even if you think I'm, I'm some Looney Tune over here that's just making up all these crazy ideas. If somebody's like, listened this long and they think you're a Looney Tune, then I think they're actually the Looney Tune because that's, okay, that, okay, know, fair it's enough. It's complex issues at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. if, if you take nothing else from this, it's like there's there's a prime case. You've got something else besides the stock market that you can count on, mm-hmm. and you know they're again like it's it's contractual. What are the guarantees in your 401k? There are no guarantees. The life insurance policy will have a table of guaranteed values before you even sign up for it. Yeah. Right? And so you'll know every time they pay a dividend, it's going to increase the whole table of guarantees because they can't take a dividend away from you once they've paid it. It's yours. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, you want to talk guarantees, you want to talk like making sure you have retirement money and stuff, then to me, it's no contest where I'd rather have my money. I used to have a 401k. I got rid of that. I paid the penalties. It's just like the terms of engagement are not favorable. So I I don't want it. It's it's something, I mean, I I still have, I have old, you know, IRAs from old jobs and current 401ks and, um, you know, it is it is something that I consider, you know, on a weekly basis if I should just be, you know, paying the penalty and getting out. Um, probably, I mean, when you start to factor in, like you talked about before, with the, the taxes that you'll pay when you're, you know, when you're mandated to you know, take your distribution and what what that's going to be. Um, if I did all that math and figured it out, and also looking at what I could do with that money today. Um, right. probably it's a no brainer, um, to take You're it You're a savvy now. guy. Like yeah. I guarantee you, I don't know how much money is in your 401k. Mm-hmm. Please don't say that on the air. Right. But whatever amount of money is floating around out there, I guarantee you, you could figure out a better use for that mm-hmm. now. You know, not, yes, you're going to take less because you're going to be tapping into it when you're young, right? You're going to have penalties and all that stuff. Yeah. But, but I mean, when you start to actually do those numbers, you know, free invitation, just sit there and do that when you have time. I know you're busy, but (laughs) it's like, eh, I think I'll just take the money. I mean, every time I do those kind of analyses, like with a client or something, I I don't have to tell people to get out of it. They want out of it once they realize, you know, that. And so like, I'm I'm not going around marketing IBC is like, take your money out of your 401k and put it in here. I don't do that. I never, ever Mm -hmm. say that. Um, But people do it. Because it's like, wow, um, yeah, I, I see the difference here. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to uh, ask you one or two more questions here. And I sure. wanted to ask you about the process of, of writing that book. Because um, I do really like you know, the format 
Um, it, it reads really well, and it's 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 set up in a way where it's it's you know short little segments, um, you know, chapters broken down in, into small little bites, which uh, which which I like. It's it's easy to uh, digest. So if you could just talk a little bit about that process and kind of you know some of your inspiration around writing it. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, you know, so when I was getting started, why did I decide to do one? You know, I guess would be mm-hmm. the first thing to say. There's several books about infinite banking out there, right? And my book is not primarily an infinite banking book. I talk about it. It's part of my my solutions, you know, but most of the book is why solutions are needed, Mm-hmm. And then the back third of it is like, okay, so given that all this is true and there's lots of footnotes, what do you do? What do you do about that? You know, I mean, other than just contribute to your 401k and just kind of do what they tell you anyway, even though you know, right? And so the the idea was was just to provide a simple action plan for people. And so that was my my thought. I think there should be a book that gives people an easy to follow like guide. And so a lot of us econ nerds, you know, Austrian types and all that, mm-hmm. we want to write our own Austrian econ book because we think it's the best thing in the world and it'll help people listen to us about Austrian econ. And I did, I, I get that. Okay. <laughs> but this is the minimum amount of econ that I felt was required to get into, okay, now I can like take care of my family in light of this situation, right? If I wrote a book that was about ending the Fed and, you know, there's a wonderful book by Ron Paul about that. But if I wrote a book about that, what's the action step? Go in the Fed? I mean, okay, yeah. Go to a a rally and and yell and (laughs) yeah, that's, that's the action step. Right. So what do you do? You don't do anything. That's the answer. I mean, okay, buy gold and silver. Okay. Yeah. It's not nothing, Mm -hmm. but you know, how do you, how do you better interface with the world given that the world is this way? And so that's kind of the, that was the seed for the whole thing. And I thought, okay, in order to explain this, I need to explain that. In order to explain this, I need to explain that. I kind of reverse engineered it. I laid out a table of contents. It's almost nothing like the original table of contents that I laid out. <laughs> but I just said, okay, I'm just going to write. And so I would set myself writing goals. You'll hear pe- people say you should like write a thousand words a day or 3000 words a day mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I didn't really stick to that for very long. I just spent as much of my time as I could manage with also doing my day-to-day job working on the book. And so, you know, anything that was like not strictly necessary for the business, I didn't do. And I just wrote all the time. I wrote straight through to the end. And then I said, okay, I need a new chapter here. I need to cut this out. That doesn't really work. I need to move this chapter over here. You know, so it's just, I mean, 90% of writing the book is revision, mm-hmm. right? And, and finding good sources. The other thing I wanted to do was... I think, you know, libertarians, again, like people in our sphere, we tend to hit a lot of pushback from people like, ah, that's not really true. You know, you're just, aren't you really blowing that out of proportion? Like those types of responses, people who are, you know, plugged into the matrix, they don't really want to hear your crazy outlandish theories. And so like every single 
claim about anything that I make has like a mainstream source, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in the footnotes and like, I, I backed them all up to archive.org. So every single website I reference will be available. Okay. Um, you know, so it's not, you, you can't just go, Oh, the link is broken. This guy's crazy, right? It it's there. If you type in that URL, it will come up. And so, you know, um, I, you know, <laughs> that's not really part of writing the book, I guess, but, but that's, yeah, it, it is. That, that's interesting that you had the foresight to go ahead and actually back up all of your um, references. That's, that is interesting. It, it's just, you know, because I know, I mean, I study psychology, right? Like I'm a big Carl mm -hmm. Jung fan and all this stuff. And so I know the, the easy paths that people are going to take to not grapple with the facts that are in this book. Mm -hmm. And so there are, I mean, I'm sure there are things I didn't address, but anything I could think of, it's like, well, you know, actually it says this on the federal reserves website, you know, actually yeah. it says this, you know, like this is census data, you know, hey, here you go. Like here are the, the facts and it's easy to get taken advantage of like manipulating statistics and stuff like that. So I teach people a different way to think about what's your return on investments and these kind of things. It's just like, these are the things that I am constantly talking about with people that I want to succeed, AKA my clients. And, you know, so if they were all in a book, then it would help a lot more people. <laughs> right. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the idea. Uh, and, and, you know, so I, I think it turned out really well. I've been just blown away with the, uh, the response to it. And, I should say we have an audiobook coming. So I've recorded an audiobook. It's being edited. I've got a couple of things to fix, but uh, that should be out by the end of the year. I don't have a link for it or anything, but you know, um, between the lies on Amazon, Kindle, or paperback, and then it, it'll have an audible link pretty soon. Mm, awesome. So. Fantastic. So that is the book Between the Lies. I misspoke at the beginning. So, um, yeah, apologize for that. Between the lies, how to reclaim your future from the banks and Wall Street. Uh, Perfect Spiral Capital. Um, what's what's the link for Perfect Spiral Capital? At perfectspiralcapital.com. And it's there capital with an A, right? It's it's mm -hmm. money. It's not uh, not a capital city. Uh, Betweentheliesbook.com will also get you to the book information. Uh, all of our social medias, all that stuff is on on there. I mentioned the YouTube, that's YouTube slash Perfect Spiral Capital, right? So uh, we've got some good stuff there. I did a reaction video to Graham Stephan and Dave Ramsey talking about the infinite banking concept and just like, just getting everything wrong, just saying blatantly incorrect things. And so responding oh, to will, that. I will check that out. S send me that link. I want to, uh, I will. I want to yeah, check sure. that out. Yeah. A um, lot of fun, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to record another one this week. So got lots of good stuff coming up on that front. And, uh, it's just, it's, uh, there's a lot there, you know, we've got a blog, we've got all the things and there'll be more as time goes on. So if you're into it, I would say just reach out though, seriously, perfectspiralcapital.com slash booking. We've got a team. All of our agents are excellent, excellent people. And so, you know, reach out to one of them. My calendar tends to be really full. But grab one of those guys and I'll be involved with the design process regardless of who you're working with. So mm -hmm. um, we can we can definitely help. And if it's not your thing, we don't add you to an email list. 
So <laughs> no hassle. All right, Luke Tatum, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, and talking about this uh, important topic today. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. All right, that concludes my interview with Luke Tatum. Hopefully, you guys got some value out of that. You know, I know I did. The nice thing about being behind this microphone is I can ask some questions um, out of my own selfish interests um, to, to, to certain areas that I want to get more inf information on. But also, I try to ask questions that maybe you are thinking of as you are listening to the interview. So hopefully, I was able to do that today. And hopefully, you all learned a little bit. And if you like this show, if you like what we do here at Lions of Liberty on Finding Freedom or Mean Age Daydream or Meme Wars, on Friday, please be sure to subscribe in podcast form on whatever your favorite app is. Of course, we're on YouTube as well. If you don't like YouTube, we are on Rumble trying to grow that channel. So please check us out there. With that being said, I will see everyone next week with another awesome guest. In the meantime, always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.